Hey, just want to explain a little bit of the premise of the today's study. Why should we study Bible prophecy? Uh, as things continue to progress, uh, we get uh, f- phone calls, emails from people all over the place. And uh, as we've talked about before, and not saying that by way of boasting or anything, God's doing a neat work here. I think it is exciting. Uh, but uh, some of the phone calls we get is these people are irate. And I mean mad. Okay, praise God they're not mad at us. Okay, uh, what they're mad about is they're mad at the church. And what they say is, I can't, I'll never forget this. This was just uh, about two months ago. I had this uh, lady call from out of state, and, uh, and uh, she says she was just irate. She says, why in the world has my church not taught me this? I've been a Christian for 20 years, and I have never heard this. Why? And this, I, she was not just at the church. She was mad at her Sunday school class even. I didn't even get it there. And she, she was blown away by it and said it was in, she was encouraged and things of that nature, but she was irate that why isn't anybody telling me? Why isn't my leaders teaching me this stuff? Now, as we've been seeing, folks, uh, we are in the apostasy. I truly believe that. And I think the irony of the thing is, why won't people touch Bible prophecy with a 10-foot pole is because of Bible prophecy. said this is going to happen in the last days. Kenetho, they're going to tickle the ears. The only thing you're going to hear from the pulpit in the last days, according to the Bible, is pleasant things and stories made up. That's what, that's what Paul says, and that's what you're getting. So I think to answer the question, it certainly is a sign, the irony of it, uh, that we're living in the last days as part of the apostasy. But I also think it's a spiritual warfare issue, and that's what I want to deal with today. And encourages why, believe it or not, studying Bible prophecy is something that should bless your socks off. I didn't say that God did. And uh, we're going to talk about that today. Are you guys ready to go? Amen. Check this out. Clarence, Billy Bob, and Bubba. Anybody here have one of those names? Bubba? Are you serious? Donna, you're not Bubba. I'm sorry, but it's, it's cheating. Okay, but anyway, Clarence, Billy Bob, and Bubba, I digress. They're traveling through uh, Europe on this uh, military leave, right? And over there, maybe Rebecca's come across it, I don't know. Uh, they come across this uh, ancient uh, town, this old town is protected by this ancient stone wall over there. And, and they're guys, you know, they're getting hungry and all. And so they decide to stop and look for something to eat. And they get over there and they see this guard, uh, uh, he's dressed in this heavy leather and chain mail and he meets him at the gate and he says this, he says, hey, you may enter, you may enter, but we got one rule here, okay, never, ever, ever step on a duck. If you step on a duck, you will be punished. Well, Clarence, Billy Bob and Bubba thought this is kind of strange, but you know, they're guys, they're hungry, right? And so they decided to pass through the gate. And as soon as they did, man, they found that there were ducks everywhere. In fact, it was impossible to keep from stepping on a duck. In fact, it was only a matter of time when Clarence accidentally stepped on a duck, and, and as soon as he did, bang, suddenly this troop of guards stormed down the street, carried him away, uh, put him in chains. He was taken to prison. He was thrown into a cell with the meanest, ugliest woman you ever saw. Men, good, you didn't move. Well, Billy Bob and Bubba, they saw this, and so obviously they're extremely careful not to step on any ducks. But sure enough, it was only a few minutes later, Billy Bob, he stepped on one. And so, bang, here comes those guards. They immediately chain him to a woman even uglier than the first one. She was dirty. She nagged constantly. Well, by this time, Bubba, he was afraid to take a step. In fact, it took him, listen to this, it took him a half an hour just to get to a single block. right? But suddenly, for no reason at all, a guard runs up to Bubba and chains him to the most beautiful woman he ever saw. She was tall, she had blue eyes, long blonde hair, she wore this stunning red dress, and she was all decked out in diamonds and gold, and uh, she she must have been a princess. Bubba, he couldn't believe his eyes. And so Bubba asked the princess, and he says, (laughs) man, what did I do to deserve this? And the princess replied, I don't know what you did, but I stepped on a stupid duck. (laughs) Yeah, quack, quack. 
Oh, wow. Now, folks, let's be honest this morning. How many guys didn't see that ending coming? You know what I'm saying? Right? It's kind of caught you off guard. You know? Okay. Whoa. Okay. And believe it or not, folks, uh, did you know the same thing is happening to the American church today when it comes to studying Bible prophecy? Okay, what's happening is the church is being caught off guard. The church doesn't know what's coming their way. And because of this, the church is being chained to some unpleasant circumstances. And the reason why, folks, is because there's this horrible trend in the church today that you do not touch Bible prophecy with a 10-foot pole, even from the pulpit. And so the church is clueless of what's coming their way. The church is stepping on ducks spiritually all over the place. And my question is, where in the world did they get this idea from that somehow studying Bible prophecy... Did you know this is not Reader's Digest or Time Magazine? It's called Bible prophecy because it comes from the Bible. Okay, and last I heard, uh, Bible prophecy and the Bible is a good thing, right? And this is what the church is missing out on today, folks. There's a phrase in the church today, we'll get this in a little bit. I don't know if you heard it, but it's getting so stinking bad in the church today that they call Bible prophecy this phrase, doom and gloom. Don't tell me any of this doom and gloom. I don't want to hear doom and gloom. Excuse me? You better read the Bible. The Bible says Bible prophecy is one of the biggest source of blessings in the church today. I didn't say that. God did. Open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. Okay, this is a major mega blessing uh, to you and I today. Now, if you find the dictionary, what do you do? Hang a left. That's right, Daniel. Good, uh, good job there, buddy. Uh, Revelation chapter 1, we're going to read verses 1 through 3, okay? And uh, I'm not making this up, folks. This is God telling us uh, a benefit of studying Bible prophecy, okay? I'm not making this up. It's not just my personal opinion. This is what he says to you and I today, okay? Revelation uh, chapter 1, verse 1 says this, The revelation of who? Jesus Christ. What is the book of Revelation defined by the book of Revelation all about? Who? Jesus Christ. Anybody love Jesus Christ? So how in the world could this book somehow be bad for you? If you love him, you should be chewing on this baby all the time. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is the word of God, and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Tortured is the one who re... Oh, I'm sorry, wrong translation. It's going to ruin your day if you read the words... This is the last thing you ever need to hear when you come to church. I just, who's, this ain't the one with the purple cover, is it? The Barney version, Tom? What's going on here? What's the word there? Blessed, makarios in the Greek. It means spiritually prosperous. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy. And what he says it a second time? Blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it. Why? Because the time is near. The time is near. According to our text, folks, I'm not making this up. We have not just once, not just twice, but from the Bible, a threefold blessing. All the Bible's good for us, but the Bible says you get a threefold blessing when you study specifically what? Bible prophecy, okay? Now, actually, actually technically, there's another one at the book, at the end of Revelation chapter 22, gives us another blessing. So really, there is a quadruple blessing, okay? But God says you will be blessed, not tortured, when you specifically read Bible prophecy, when you give an ear to Bible prophecy, when you take to hurt what you learn about Bible prophecy concerning Jesus Christ in the last days that he's coming back and that the time is near, right? So according to the Bible, I'm not making this up. If you want to be blessed in your walk with God, anybody want to be blessed in their walk with God? How many guys want to have God's blessings pouring out of your ears, right? Then according to the word of God, what do you need to get busy specifically studying? 
Bible prophecy, right? It's right there in the text. You get busy reading Bible prophecy. You hear it. You take to heart. Don't let it go in one ear and out the other. You take it to heart. And God says, I'm going to bless your socks off four times over. Now, here's the point. Why is it then, here's the premise, that Christians, even pastors, even churches, refuse, I mean flat out refuse, to study Bible prophecy? Why am I getting phone calls? Why are we getting phone calls and emails from people across the country saying, why isn't my church preaching this? It's in the Bible. In fact, why do you hear people in the church say stuff like this? Don't make me read this. Don't make me hear this. Don't, don't try to make me to take this information to heart. This is freaking me out. Here's the phrase. It's doom and gloom is what they're saying in the church today. Why would they say that when we just saw folks, God says, are you kidding me? This is a quadruple blessing to you, right? Well, again, I believe it's part of the apostasy. That's the irony of the situation. You don't want to study Bible prophecy, so you miss out that the fact that your very behavior is a part of the apostasy that the Bible predicted would come. Okay, you only want pleasant things from the pulpit, tickle your ears, and uh, only stories made up. Okay, but I also do think it's a spiritual warfare issue. Okay, and I think you get this common sense when you put yourself in the enemy's shoes, right? I mean, think about it. If you're the Antichrist, okay, if you're Satan, okay, he, he's not dumb, folks. He knows exactly what he's doing, okay? If you're about this close to pulling off the rise of the Antichrist kingdom, okay, what is the last book that you want people in? The Bible, period. But specifically, what parts of the Bible don't you want them in? Bible prophecy. Why? Because that's where you find out in great detail his plans. God exposes the whole thing, right? He exposes the whole thing. The Bible is the only book on the planet, did you know, that exposes in great massive detail, intimate detail, what the Antichrist is going to do in the last days. And how many guys don't want to be cut off guard? How many guys would like to know what he's going to do? Well, it's right there, right? Well, he knows this. He's not stupid. So he keeps people away from it, right? Why? so that we will be cut off guard and we're stepping on these ducks spiritually all over the place, folks, and we're clueless, even as the church, of what he's up to, okay? So this is what I want to do. Let's remind ourselves why in the world studying Bible prophecy, like this is not my premise, it's God's. Let's remind ourselves why in the world studying Bible prophecy is such an absolute, massive, tremendous blessing, amen? Okay, and according to the word of God, the first thing that uh, Bible prophecy will bless my socks off is because, you know what? It reminds me of several things. And the first one, I'm going to heaven, did you know that? Okay. And, and last time I checked, folks, uh, did you know we're not saved for this garbage can down here? Okay. Did you know that Jesus Christ came to save us to a place called heaven? Okay. Now, do you know where we find out that truth? Ah, that's right, Tom. You're watching the screen. Revelation. Whoa, this is great news. Are you serious? This is it? Yeah, it's in Bible prophecy. Revelation 21, verse 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Okay, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. And I saw this holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Now stop and think about that. We've talked about this before. Ladies, how many of you showed up at your wedding with just this uh, nifty uh, burlap potato sack thing you threw together you know, at the last minute? My wife raised her hand. Pray for me. Let's close in prayer. <laughs> no. <laughs> Other than my wife. How many of you ladies? That's right. <laughs> we were poor, starving Bible college, you know. But uh, anyway, we did the best. Uh, but no, you were decked out, right? I mean, this is, that's how God compares this, man. It's decked out. It's awesome. It's a, whoa, it's a mind-blowing special thing, right? Then he goes on. 
And he says, I heard this loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. Listen, no more of this invisible stuff. Personal relationship face-to-face with Almighty God. He will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Listen, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There's not going to be any more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. Why? Because here's where we're headed to, Christian. For the old order of things has passed away. Okay? And according to our text, folks, the Bible clearly says that our new heavenly existence with God, okay, it's not like going to be a place that obviously God is preparing for us himself. And how many guys would say he does some pretty awesome jobs of stuff he created, okay? But it's going to be totally decked out. It's going to be absolutely awesome. What did it say here? We are headed not just for a weekend. We Christians are headed forever and ever and ever and ever and ever to a place where what? There is never going to be a part of our reality ever. No more death. No more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, no more having to say goodbye to your loved one who knows Christ. And think of what that means, folks. That's just, that's our existence. But in order to be a part of that existence, the Bible says we get new bodies. Anybody glad? Right? And the Bible, the Bible starts describing that new body, okay? This new body, this resurrected body, the happy bang at the rapture, okay? The resurrected body will never die, will never rot, will never decay, will never break down, it won't age. Is that incredible or what? Now, you young whippersnappers back there, you don't appreciate that yet, but hang on. It's coming, okay? And that means, think about this, folks. Our new bodies, there's not going to be any... This is, a, this is not just for a weekend. This is how it will always be for us. Jesus is one for us forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. No more back aches, no more uh, broken bones, no more disease. Ladies, no more anti-aging creams. I'm not going to smear all that stuff here. Listen to Bob Chuckle's new formula. <laughs> that stuff, right? Makeup companies are going makeup, right? Why? Because the Bible says our bodies are not just going to be perfect. They're going to be imperishable. Which means, listen to this. We're never going to have to experience this reality ever again. No more will you wake up and go to the breakfast table and you hear snap, crackle, and pop and discover you ain't eating cereal. That's you making that noise. Okay, no more will you go to bed realizing that you and your teeth don't sleep together anymore. No more will you wake up looking like your driver's license picture. Okay, no more will you look for your glasses for a half hour before you realize they're on your head the whole time. You ever do that? You won't have a problem remembering and you won't even need glasses because everything's perfect, okay? But this is, I've shared this before, but this is my all-time favorite. The ultimate benefit to our heavenly existence, listen, is you no longer will bend over to straighten out the wrinkles in your socks and discover you ain't wearing socks. That's your skin. <laughs> That's gone. Praise God for that. Okay? And the reason why is because the Bible says heaven is going to be perfect. Now listen, where's my, where am I getting all this information from? The Reader's Digest. The book of Revelation. This is where I'm getting this from. Ooh, that is, that's doom and gloom. Don't tell me this. Are you kidding me? This is awesome. Our bodies are going to be perfect forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever, and so shall it always be. That's good news. Church is missing out on this, folks, but that's still the tip of the iceberg. Heaven is so stinking cool, guys. The Bible even specifically says, ma'am, Okay, I just gave you some of this stuff in Revelation, and it blows your mind, right? But it is so cool what God's prepared for us, we can't even imagine it. Your your brain can't even compute how incredible it's going to be. And this is what we see from Paul in this passage of Scripture, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9. This is what the Scriptures mean when they say this. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined. Now, how many guys got a mind that you can imagine a lot of stuff, right? You got a good imagination. The Bible says, man, as good as you think you can imagine stuff, as cool as you think it is, uh-uh-uh. 
It, it, it blows you out of the water. You can't even imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. Do you love him? Then guess what? He's got something mind-blowing out of this world for you, okay? And uh, it, he says it. It's so blown. You can't, you can't imagine it. But I've shared this before, but now way of example. Let's try to see if we can expand our eyes to see what heaven would be like. Let's try to expand our ears and our minds to see what could a heavenly existence without sin, perfect bodies to the max. What would that be like? One guy extrapolated kind of scientifically, and he put it like this. Let's take a look. This is the electromagnetic spectrum. This contains all the different wavelengths, radio waves, microwaves, including a small piece called light. Now your eyeball can see the colors, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, violet. That's all. The spectrum goes forever in both directions beyond that. Suppose we get to heaven and God gives us new eyes that can see the entire spectrum. That means there'll be brand new colors. Trillions of them. Not new shades of these colors. Brand new colors. That's why heaven has to be so large. It's for the women's closets. <laughs> My wife is going to say, honey, does this go with this? I'll say, dear, I couldn't figure it out back on earth. She has to number my ties to go with my suits. It's not that I'm colorblind. It's that I don't know what goes with what. Secondly, I don't care. I just want to get dressed. Lay it out, would you? Anybody else feel that way about it? Say, don't tell me about it. Just put it together for me, please. Can you imagine if we get new eyes that can see the whole spectrum, you're going to be able to see the sounds coming off the piano. Right now, we can only hear them. Imagine seeing the sounds. What if we get new ears that can hear the whole spectrum? You're going to be able to hear the colors. Wow. <laughs> or smell them. Yellow. Or taste them. Ah, green. Wow. We've only got five senses, folks. Maybe there's more. <laughs> But if God just took these five and expanded them to the max, we would spend forever walking around heaven going, wow, wow. Have you smelled that? Come here, lick that. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> no eye has seen. Pay attention to what he said. We know this scientifically. It is possible. No eye has seen. No ear has heard. No, we can't even imagine where we are headed, what God has prepared for those who love him, okay? I don't know about you guys, but I can't wait to get there. You know what I'm saying? Right? And that's what studying Bible prophecy does. It reminds me, I'm going to that place, and it's not make-believe. And the more I study it, the more I hear it, the more I read it and take it to heart, I'm blessed all over again. In fact, I would say if you do that this side of heaven, it will save you from living this kind of horrible, restrictive heartache. Like this couple. There One day there was this 85-year-old couple, and they've been married for almost 60 years, and suddenly they both died in this car crash, right? And so they've been in good health for the last 10 years, mainly to their interest in health, food, and stuff, and exercise. And Well, when they reached the pearly gates, St. Peter took them to their mansion, and it was decked out with a beautiful kitchen, had a master bath suite and jacuzzi, and, and they were ooh and ah and all looking around, right? And, and, and the old man, he goes up to Peter, and he says, uh, how, how much is all this going to cost? And Peter said, hello, it's, it's heaven, it's for free. So next, they go back to the survey of the championship golf course and that their home was backed up to, and they, they learned that they would have golfing privileges uh, uh, every day. Each week, uh, the course would change to a new one, representing one of the great golf courses back on earth. And, and so the old man, he goes up to Peter, and he says, hey, um, uh, how much for the green fees? 
And Peter says, this is heaven. You, you play for free. Well, next they go to the clubhouse and they see this lavish buffet lunch with all the cuisines of the world laid out right there before them. And the old man, he goes up to Peter and he says, well, how much does it cost to eat? And Peter, he's starting to get a little exasperated with this guy by now. And so he says, he says, oh, don't you get it? This is heaven. It's for free. So then the old man asked Timothy, he goes, well, well, where's all the low fat tables and the low cholesterol tables? And Peter saying, hello, that's the best part. You can eat as much as you'd like, whatever you'd like. You never get fat and you never get sick. This is heaven. Well, with this time, the old man, he just goes in this fit of rage and anger. He throws down his hat. He's stomping on it. He's streaking wildly and stuff. And so Peter and his wife, they're trying to calm the guy down. And they ask him what in the world was wrong with him. And the old man looked at his wife and pointed to her and said, this is all your fault. If it weren't for your stupid prunes and bran muffins, I could have been here 10 years ago. Let's just close in prayer. Now, isn't that how we treat what Christ has won for us? It's like sometimes, if you notice this, we act like as Christians, we're trying our best to stay away from there. Well, first of all, you're going to die on time. The Bible says God has determined the length of our lives and we're not given a moment longer. But excuse me, where are we? Excuse me, as if heaven is bad? It's some place to have, what? It's absolutely amazing. And this is what I get reminded of now, not when I get there, now when I need it the most. I'm headed to this place, and it's not make-believe. It's real, a place beyond my wildest dream. And so I got a theory that goes like this. If you guys are here today, and you're sick and tired of scarfing down brand muffins, and you're sick and tired of those goofy grape nuts, right? Then guess what you need to do according to the Bible? Start studying Bible prophecy, right? Why? Because it reminds me I'm actually headed to that place. It's not make-believe. Heaven is real, okay? No wonder God says, blessed, not torture, blessed are those who read and hear and who take to heart Bible prophecy. This is not doom and gloom. This is fantastic that I am going to a place beyond my wildest dreams forever and ever and ever and ever where there is no more sin, no more crying, no more pain, and Christ has won it for me for free. How in the world is that bad for me? You get that from studying Bible prophecy. That's why God says, I'll, I'll bless your socks off if you get in there. The second reason why Bible prophecy is a blessing to me, just like hello God said it's going to be, is because it reminds me of another thing in my future. I'm going to the millennium. This is awesome. This is not make-believe, folks. This is incredible. If heaven wasn't cool enough, folks, the Bible says that after the seven-year tribulation, Jesus Christ is not just coming back. He's coming back with us, the church. Right? We leave at the rapture prior to the seven-year tribulation. But, oh, 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 by the way, where am I getting this information? Oh, that's right, Revelation, right? Revelation says, listen, we get to come back with Jesus at the second coming. He's going to establish his millennial reign. And one of the reasons why it's going to be such a fantastic time period is because Satan is bound. Anybody looking forward to that? Okay, that's what you get, Revelation 20, 1 through 4. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for how long? I love to point this out every time I can. How many angels did it take to bind Satan? He gets us to think he's way more powerful than what he deserves. That's just a little side note. But listen, and, and he threw him into the abyss and he locked it and he sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years are ended. Okay, that's what you get in the book of Revelation. After the seven-year tribulation, Jesus Christ comes back. We get to come with him. Praise God. Anybody glad? Okay, and we get to be a part of this thing called the Millennial Kingdom. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be phenomenal. We'll take a look at it in a second. But as we just saw, what makes it so awesome, one of the great things is because the whole time, 
The whole time for this thousand years, Satan is bound up. And stop and think about what kind of an awesome, amazing, cool existence that's going to be. That means he is not going to be, our greatest arch enemy is not going to be anywhere on planet earth to incite evil. To produce the wickedness and the evil and the suffering we see today. All the rottenness that we have to deal with today from a spiritual war, it's gone. Anybody looking forward to that existence? Okay, that's pretty stinking cool, okay? And again, where did, I, where did I pull this out of? Time Magazine? No, the book of Revelation. Now, what I've noticed is for some reason, we Christians in the church, it, it seems to, we're not only ill-equipped when it comes to understanding what heaven's gonna be like, believe it or not, but especially when it comes to this, the millennial kingdom, okay? The place that we are headed for, okay, when Jesus Christ comes back, okay? So let's take a look at a couple characteristics of what the Bible says this time frame is going to be like, okay? It's going to be absolutely awesome. The first thing we see in the scripture is that the government on the planet will be a theocracy, theos, God. God is going to be ruling. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is going to be ruling and reigning personally, visibly from Jerusalem, right? Now stop right there and expand on that, baby. Okay, he is the ruler over the planet. That means, did you know, in the millennial kingdom, there will never, ever, 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 ever be another election, right? No more news broadcasters going, well, I think it was a hanging chad or this with that. Or like, did you hear those guys got bribed and they lied and they steal? So no more of that baloney, folks. No more, nobody's running against Jesus Christ. Are you kidding me? That means there's not going to be any politicians. No more politics. And we saw before, I'll point it out again. Politics apparently comes from two words, poly meaning many and ticks blood-sucking creatures. That's all gone. Just from that one aspect of the millennial kingdom, it goes on. The 12 disciples will rule over the 12 tribes of Israel. There will pay attention, Christian, live for Jesus now, pays off. There will be other smaller subdivisions of authority awarded for faithfulness. Okay, we get to rule and reign with him. Okay, judges will be raised up and demonstrate the theocratic power of Christ to rule with inflexible righteousness and justice. There is not going to be anything as such as an unfair uh, uh, a crime or a punishment for a crime. It's always going to be right, always 100%. There, nobody can be bribed. It's going to be awesome, okay, all the time. War at that time is going to be a relic of the past. No more such thing uh, during that time. Jerusalem, now known for war, bloodshed, and international tensions. Turn on your TV. Will at last become the city of peace and the capital of the world. And listen to this. There will be, re- you talk about a praise service. Listen to this one. There's going to be religious peace with Jews and Gentiles worshiping the Lord together across the planet. Whoa. Okay, and this then there were going to be a, a just economy for everyone. No longer will it be monopolized with only a few privileged families. Okay, it's going to be a just time, a righteous time. Okay, nature will cooperate with man again. Productivity will return. I will be able to grow a garden if I so chose. With my, uh, earthquakes, tornadoes, floods, the things, the effect of the fall, because everything's getting renovated to Garden of Eden-like condition. Okay, that's all going to be gone, folks. Never again uh, during that time frame. Our work will no longer be in vain. Our children will no longer be doomed to misfortune. Work will continue throughout the millennium because God's designed work is a source of provision. Nothing wrong with working, hello. But in the millennium, our work will, listen, yield multiple gains, much more than what we need for survival, which means we will have enough resources for nice vacations, leisures, and fun. God wants us to enjoy the fruit of our labor during that time. Now, I'm sorry I had to share that reality with you guys, and I realized that what I just shared with you, us going to the Millennium Kingdom, just ruined your day. Because it's just doom and gloom. It's horrible. Let's just close and pray. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Anybody excited about going to that place? 
okay? That's where we go after the second coming of Jesus Christ. And that's on a planetary scale, right? We can create little peace around here and there in our little bubbles in church world, but this is on the whole planet for a thousand years, okay? But that's not all. Again, let me share with you a couple of other neat characteristics. Uh, the Bible says, again, as I alluded to, uh, that the earth is going to get renovated. And it's going to get renovated to Garden of Eden-like conditions, okay? And during that time frame, people are going to live a long, full, uh, rich life, okay? <laughs> Love it, John. <laughs> I'm a fast runner. <laughs> I had to get my... Now, listen, obviously, you guys can tell that John has found the secret to uh, the fountain of youth or something, right? You know what I'm saying? He's always had that beard. Looking snappy, by the way, with your space dog wrinkles. Okay, uh, but, uh, but no, that's what the Bible says. Listen to the ages during the millennial kingdom. We're headed to this place, folks. I didn't make this up. Isaiah chapter 65, verse 20. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his years. Listen, in fact, he who dies at 100 will be what? A, a mere youth, Right? This is what the scripture says. Okay, now if you read the Bible and look at the Garden of Eden conditions and before the flood, what was going on there with the lifespan of the people? Long time. Okay, that gets restarted again. Okay, as one guy says, during this time frame, people get to live as long as trees. Isn't that wild? Right? You might finally be able to win at solitaire because you got a thousand years to get there. I don't know, whatever. All right. As long as trees. Now, i got to make a side note here. This isn't necessarily referring to you and I, the Christian, right now. Okay? Not to confuse things, but I do need to clarify. Because you and I, the Christian, uh, we're already going to be in a state of eternal body. Because the Scripture is clear that if we're alive in that generation with the rapture, at the rapture, we get instantly translated with a resurrected body. Okay? And then when we come back with Jesus, praise God, the sin nature is gone. Right? So what he's talking about is the people who do get saved during the seven-year tribulation, certainly the Jewish remnant, Okay, most of the people get slaughtered. We know in Revelation says you need to get saved now if you're not. Hello. Okay, but there will be some people that survive, and so they will usher in still with the sin nature, which explains why there's a final rebellion. It's not from us. Okay, and they will usher into the middle of the kingdom, but instantly, bang, they get this longevity of life back. Okay, it's going to be absolutely amazing. Okay, as long as the trees, listen, when a person, if they were to even die at 100, it would be as like, oh, a baby died. I says, turn to somebody. Anybody here under 100? Okay, turn to him and encourage him today and go, you baby, you little baby, you little baby, right? Isn't that amazing? By the time, it's just, it's, listen, by the time you hit 500, you're just hitting prime, woohoo, 500. This is not make-believe. This is where we are headed as Christians. Oh, where'd I get this? That's right, I read it in the local newspaper because you can trust everything there. Oh, I'm sorry, it's in Revelation. This is something fantastic, Okay. Uh, listen, and that's not, yeah, that's not longevity of life. The Bible says during this time, this is cool. I can't wait for this one. We're going to have peace with nature. Okay, the Bible talks about before the flood, animals were vegetarians, and so were people. There was peace. God's going to restore that during this time frame. Let's take a look at that text. Again, in Isaiah chapter 11, speaking of the millennial kingdom, uh, verse 6 and 9, the wolf will live with the lamb. Now, if that were to happen today, what would you have? Lamb chops, right? There's actually people today that would say, oh, we're in the millennium now. Uh, uh, try that experiment. I don't recommend it. Uh, see, oh, and by the way, we just saw that during that millennial kingdom, Satan is bound. How's that working out for you? I don't think he's bound. You know, so we're not in the millennium yet. All right, the wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together. And who's going to lead them? My son, Billy, is the Chrome translation there. What? 
A little child's going to hang out with all these wild animals? Yeah, in fact, the cow will feed with the bear, and the young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like an ox. They're going back to being vegetarians. You don't have to worry about it, folks. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra, and the young child will put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Isn't that an amazing existence? Right? Anybody ever go to the zoo and you're a little bit freaked out when that... Last time I tried to tap on that window with that tiger. <laughs> it's not going to be a reality anymore. Okay, it's absolutely, in the millennium, all wild animals, not just my vicious wiener dogs, all wild animals are going to be tamed. One guy puts it this way, it's going to be domesticated Africa. And walk out the door, oh, hey, look, there's a lion. Maybe you have a couple lion pets. One guy said he's going to name his Leo and Cleo, Right? Uh, and, and again, for those of you who think that, oh, come on, are you serious? God's really going to do this? I think that sometimes maybe, and like I say, thus saith the Lord, but I think maybe some guy, times God does give us a sneak peek of what this time frame is going to be like in the millennium. Okay, because, you know, it's, I mean, are you serious? Our kids are going to be perfectly safe, perfectly safe around lions and snakes and stuff. Yeah. Well, I think sometimes he gives us a glimpse of how it was supposed to be before it got messed up at the fall, but he's going to fix it. And this could be our reality for a thousand years. Let's watch this. This is, this is a true story. It's about a lion named Christian. Okay. There were two men who adopted the lion, Ace Berg and John Rendell. And they bought the lion from Harrods Department Store. Who knows that they, you know, who thought right. they. So, cubs. And in 1969, and the little cub weighed uh, 35 pounds. A year later, the little cub had grown, and he weighed 185 pounds. Mm -hmm. This is a love story, a true love story. Take a look.
It almost makes you want to weep. And I wonder if it's because deep down inside, we know that the earth, as the scripture says, we groan and travail for the sons of God to receive their inheritance. We know the earth is messed up. We know that this isn't how, what we see today, what God designed. But we long for that reality where we're going to have peace, not just amongst each other, but even with the nature, with animals. Yep, that's doom and gloom. That's the last thing the church ever needs to hear. And you wonder why people today in the church don't live for Jesus Christ anymore. Scripture says, if you love this world or the things of this world, then the love of the Father is not in you. And I'm sorry, guys. I love you as your pastor. And I can't keep this from you. Because it blesses my socks off. It keeps me from focusing on all the junk and the blowing that goes on here. Because I know this is just a temporary camping trip. One day, the Bible says, when you study Bible prophecy, you get reminded of this stuff. When you read it, when you hear it, when you take it to heart, you're blessed all over again. Your greatest adventure awaits. One guy says this about the, the millennial kingdom. He says, under the direction of Jesus Christ, the resurrected believers of the church will provide the leadership necessary to create a just society for mankind. Listen, the greatest adventure we could ever imagine awaits us in the reality of the kingdom of Christ. Why should I study Bible prophecy? Because it reminds me that I'm headed to my greatest adventure. And the more that I read it now, hear it, study it, chew on it, yeah, I'm reminded of that. Why is that doom and gloom? Are you starting to see why I think it's a spiritual warfare issue and the church is getting robbed? Because all this is coming out of there. But folks, I'm telling you what, I can't wait to get to this one. The third reason why, do you realize, folks, we get to see Jesus Christ? The third reason why Bible prophecy is a blessing to me, hello, is because I get to see my King Jesus Christ. Okay, and I don't know about you, we should be excited about that. And that's what Bible prophecy does. It reminds me of that. In fact, when you see in Bible prophecy, oh, that's right, where's this at? Oh, that's right, Revelation. Uh, Revelation 19, the second coming of Jesus, when he comes back, woohoo, everybody's busting loose. Listen to this text. Revelation 19, Jesus is coming back, right? After this, I heard what sounded like a roar of a multitude in heaven shouting what? Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God for true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He's avenged on her the blood of the servants. And again, they shouted, hallelujah. The smoke from her uh, goes up forever and ever. The 24 elders, the four living creatures, they get in on it. They fall down. They worship God who's seated on the throne. And they cried out, hey. Amen, hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both small and great. And then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, like the loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah. For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come. His bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Then the angel said, What? Right? What? Tortured? Rotten? I just ruined your day? No, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, guess what? You can take these uh, words to the bank. Just and true are the true words of God. Now, folks, I don't know about you, but appearance, you know, reading this text here, I, I'm kind of getting the conclusion that all of heaven is just a little bit excited about the return of Jesus Christ, right? Okay, all of heaven, okay, this is a praise service to, on steroids, man. Hallelujah, hallelujah, praise God, give him glory. Why? Why are they so excited? Because this is awesome news. 
Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, is coming back. And he's coming back to put an end to this evil and suffering once for all. As we saw, he's going to set up his millennial kingdom. And you and I, who belong to him, get to be a part of the greatest party of all time. It's called the Wedding Supper of the Lamb. Okay? Our King Jesus, the one who has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, he's defeated death, hell, and the grave. He's coming back, and he's going to throw us an amazing wedding party. Okay? Now, here's the point. Where did I get this information? I got this email from uh, Fox News, and they... <laughs> I got that from Bible Prophecy, man. And last time I checked, that's some good news. That ain't doom and gloom. Jesus Christ is coming back to get us. Our King, our Heavenly Commander, the Prince of Peace, is coming back to get us His bride. And that's why God says the more you read this and hear this and take it to heart, you're blessed, 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 blessed. Hallelujah. You can't stop and say Hallelujah. Because I don't know about you, but I love Jesus Christ. And he saved my soul from eternal damnation in hell. I deserve to go there. I know that. I can't wait to see him. Oh, heaven's cool. Don't get me wrong. The millennium, woohoo! See Jesus. Don't you want to hug him? One guy puts it this way. He talks about our King Jesus. He says, the Bible says my king is a seven-way king. He's the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings, and he's the Lord of lords. He's my king. Do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that's ever crossed the horizon of the world. He's God's son. He's the center savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unique. He's unparalleled. And he's unprecedented. He's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the supreme problem in higher criticism. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the miracle of the age. He is, yes, he is the superlative of everything good that you choose to call him. He is the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. Do you know him? He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes. He saves. He strengthens. He sustains, he guards, he guides, he heals the sick, he cleanses the lepers. He forgives the sinners, he discharges debtors, he delivers the captives, he defends the feeble, he blesses the young, he serves the unfortunate, he regards the age, he rewards the diligent, he beautifies the meek. Do you know him? My king is the key to knowledge, the wellspring of wisdom, the doorway to deliverance, the pathway to peace, the roadway to righteousness, the highway to holiness, and the gateway to glory. His office is manifold, his promise is sure, his light is matchless, his goodness is limitless, his mercy is everlasting, his reign is righteous, his yoke is easy, and his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to, to you, but he is indescribable. He is incomprehensible. He's indefensible. He is irresistible. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't get him off your heads. You can't live without him, and you can't uh, hold out on him. Death can't handle him. The grave can't hold him. That's my king. That's my king. That's my king. He's got the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Hallelujah. Amen. Do you know him? That's what studying Bible prophecy does. It reminds me that one day I get to see that king who by his grace and mercy I can call my king. That's not him. The church is getting robbed. Every time I study Bible prophecy, I'm reminded I'm going to heaven, a place beyond my wild stream. I'm going to the millennial kingdom where my greatest adventure awaits. And I get to see my King Jesus face to face who loves me and who won all this for me because he loves me. And he didn't want to see me end up in hell. I don't know about you, but I feel encouraged today. You know why? 
because we did what God said to do. If you get in there, all the Bible's good for us. But if you get in there, if you study Bible prophecy, you're going to be quadruply blessed. Anybody feel blessed today? So I got a theory to go something like this. I don't know about you, but uh, I'm kind of thinking, let's uh, maybe Lord willing next week, let's continue on our journey and study Bible prophecy and uh, continue to bless our socks off. And as we get looking forward to his return, because that's what it's about. Jesus Christ is coming back to get us, right? Rapture practice. Could happen any day now, folks, okay? In fact, as we saw before, we're going to close on this again. Uh, but how do you know how close it is? We don't know the exact day nor the hour, right? Of course not. But what if Jesus was on the backside of Jupiter coming this way? Could it be? Yeah. And I wonder what it would look like. Maybe it'll look something like this. We'll close in prayer after this. I hear a sound of a mighty rushing wind and it's closer now than it's ever been I can almost hear the trumpet as Gabriel sounds the call. Oh, at the midnight cry, we'll be going home. When
That's not doom and gloom. Turn to somebody and say, I'm going home. And it's going to be soon. That's why we're studying Bible prophecy. Amen? Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries. And I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay, how many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief, okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy, okay? And folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that, and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God. And you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. 
God so loved the world that He sent His one and only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in Him, what He did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but He will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell, and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him, to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for 
uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.